Mike Luciano. Uh, Mike, uh, how are you today? I'm well, Ben, and I can't wait. I can't wait to win our impeachment trial bet and take your money. Since our last show, Rand Paul forced a vote on a resolution declaring Trump's impeachment trial unconstitutional because Trump's now a private citizen. The good news is the resolution failed. The bad news is 45 Republicans voted to pass it and just five voted against it. Now, Ben, as you know, conviction in the Senate requires 67 votes. Uh, And if that impeachment trial vote that will happen sometime in February, if that vote resembles this one that was just taken in the slightest, you know, math wasn't my strong suit, but crunching the numbers here, it doesn't look like your wager is in good shape. But the good news for you is that there's never been a better time to invest in a hot, innovative company called GameStop. <laughs> so I have uh, I have two things I want to say to respond to that. The first is, look, it's not over till it's over. We've got to wait to the impeachment trial um, to see whether um, see whether I was correct in my prediction. Uh, number two, can we change it to a gentleman's bet, please? Because um, you know, uh, I think you know, I don't think it sets a good example for the listeners to be uh, gambling money. Uh, you know, you so asked think, me this. But, you asked me this on Twitter, and. I think uh, I'm sorry, but a price has to be paid for basically saying, I trust that <laughs> Mitch McConnell and the Republicans will do the right thing at a crucial time. I think <laughs> you need to pay a silly tax. But I'll tell you what, I will think about it. I'll think about it. And instead of five bucks, instead of five bucks, maybe I'll have you read a statement that I write in which it's something to the effect of how silly you were for thinking that Republicans could be trusted to abandon Trump. I didn't think, listen, I, it wasn't that I thought they'd grown courage. I didn't think that. I felt that it would have been in their self-interest, definitely in their self-interest to impeach Trump. But I guess that um, their cowardice, as always, has got the better of them. Mitch McConnell, the noises this guy's been making about um, it seemed pretty clear that he was absolutely furious with Trump um, and wanted to punish him and was clearly gambling. Clearly, he was betting that if Trump was impeached, that he would, you know, they could basically bar him from ever running again. So anyway, I, 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 I accept now that this was uh, foolish thinking. They have again, they have bowed to the MAGA hats. They have bowed to the mob. Yet, yet again, you know, we are in a very strange place right now. Uh, at least the Republican Party is in a very, very weird place where Trump is still king of the Republican Party, but he's nowhere to be seen. He's not on Twitter. He's not doing TV appearances. So it, it, it's, they're sort of rudderless. Uh, I mean, I, I'm finding it quite funny, you know, to watch such disarray. It, you know, the whole joke, Dems in disarray. Uh, now it's, I mean, I think that, you know, who's in charge of the Republican Party? I, I can't Trump. tell. Trump, everything you need to know about where the Republican Party is at, you just take a look at Thursday. Okay, on Thursday, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy went to Mar-a-Lago to further kiss the ring. There's a photo of him and Trump that he posted online, posted a statement how Trump is committed to helping Republicans win. Later that day, Matt Gates, 
from Florida was in Wyoming for some reason holding a rally against Liz Cheney. That's Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney. And why was he holding that rally with like 300 people, which in Wyoming is a pretty good showing? Because Liz Cheney voted to impeach the president. And I'll tell you what, Liz Cheney will be primaried. And if there aren't too many clowns, Trumpy clowns vying to unseat her in that primary, she's going down. She's going down absolutely. You put Liz Cheney in a two-way race against a fervently pro-Trump MAGA all the way candidate, she's cooked. So, but that's where where the party is right now. And they're trying, there's a movement. Gates said that, you know, he's trying to get her out of the leadership. She's the number three Republican in the House. And more Republicans are looking to get rid of her. Tried, then who are trying to get rid of Marjorie Taylor Greene, who we'll talk about later in the show. So, oh, yes. Who, and that just shows you where the party is. So I regret to inform you that the party only gets crazier from here. It's quite insane, really, isn't it? I mean, and quite funny, because I think this is going to have catastrophic, catastrophic effects on their electability going forward. It's going to be very, very, very difficult for the party to function um you know with basically you're only you can only win if you're a trump if you're a loony trump person and and all the moderates so I, I you know i i could very well see a split in the party at some point where that you know the grown-ups in the party are going to have to decide okay do, do, do we stay in this party full of deranged lunatics uh, and face com- electoral obliv- oblivion in you know at least in presidential races, uh, in governorship races, you know, in in Senate races, it's going to be very, very difficult, I think, for them to, without Trump, like they don't have the Trump card, which is Trump as president. So, you know, he's still the the sort of, the, he's still the leader of the Republican Party, but he, he has no power anymore, right? He's not the president. Right. He the guy is subject to the rule of law. He's you know, he's going to have lawsuits up his backside. I mean, it's going to be pretty grim for Donald Trump going forward. So how the Republican Party functions moving on is I, you know, I don't know how they're going to do it. I really don't. Um, and not to say that this is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I would love to see the Republican Party split into two. I would love to see the new pa- the Patriots or whatever that, you know, was it Trump was thinking about starting a new Republican Party or starting a new party, the Patriots or something. Yeah, like that. he's he's dropped that. But I think it's clear where the Republican Party is. I mean, it's not you know, I've seen articles about, oh, the GOP is grappling with its future. No, it's already decided. Trump is the future. And yeah, like in the reality based world. Trump is toxic. He's going to have all these lawsuits. He's going to have, but he's still going to wield enormous influence in the party. And that's just where they're at now. That's where they're at. And I think, uh, you know, I think this is great for Biden because it allows Biden to, it basically gives him some wiggle room, you know, while they're fighting it out amongst themselves and, you know, kicking and screaming about everything that Biden does. And this is the problem with, with, basically how the republicans are now treating politics that it's the sort of it's like nihilism right that everything that biden does is the end of the world you know tucker carlson coming on tv uh going on his nightly show ranting about the extremist democrats and 
I mean, his last his show this week was just one of his shows was absolutely insane. Where he, not that I usually defend Tom Friedman, right? But Tucker Carlson went after Tom Friedman, Tom Friedman from the New York Times, and Tucker Carlson says basically the democratic government is trying to control your mind, right? You know, the, I think that this is not working as much anymore, right? That they're trying to block everything that that Biden does, and the and Biden and his administration are just going to ignore it because why would you bother and get you? You can't reason with insanity. So why bother? Why bother reasoning with them? Just, you know, say we're going to do this if they kick and scream about it and say, okay, well, we, we are, we, we offered you compromise and we, we asked to talk about it seriously, but you won't talk about it seriously. So we're going to do it anyway. And I think that, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty good for the Democrats. There appears to be less appetite among congressional Democrats to, reach across the aisle or whatever than there was during the Obama years, which is a welcome development. And a, a re- big reason for that is Mitch McConnell and his behavior over the last decade plus. L- last week's show, uh, I noted how McConnell was holding up the transfer of the gavels to the Democrats in the Senate, even though they had retaken the majority. He was he wanted included language in that resolution uh, which would prohibit any changes being made to the filibuster. Well, McConnell has now backed down. He's caved on that. He has cited he cited public assurances by Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, Manchin of West Virginia, that uh, they would not support the abolition of the filibuster or any changes to the filibuster whatsoever. So McConnell surprised me there and backed down. I thought he was really going to hold out for actual language in the resolution, but he says these public assurances from these two senators, Democratic senators, are good enough for him. And this is a good thing because, look, I'm not saying it's likely Democrats do anything about the filibuster in the next two years, but they at least have a little leverage. The threat is still there. You know, if Joe Manchin or Cinema get really frustrated about a piece of legislation that they really, really want and maybe even feel they really, really need to pass for them to win re-election, then yeah, who knows? Maybe they start to alter their stance a little bit. But I was very surprised that McConnell backed down. I, I, I think I think it was, you know, again, basically McConnell recognized that he might have been he, he'd overplayed his hand he'd pushed it too far and he was he was basically risking those two democrats basically saying actually you know what like this is ridiculous we're going to vote to end the filibuster um and they would have you know they they can do it you need 51 votes to get it done and they would have had the votes and i think McConnell overplayed his hand i think he recognized it would be smarter to to cool tempers and to ensure, make sure that that um, uh, there wasn't any chance of whipping up kind of anger, too much anger against him, um, and, and having the filibuster go through. Personally, I would like them to just end the filibuster. It's quite annoying that the Democrats can't, they can't get the number of votes to get to get it passed. But I think this is going to keep coming up. 
because I think that Biden is going to, you know, they're going to pass, they're going to do a hell of a lot through budget reconciliation. But I think that the Republicans are still going to obstruct absolutely everything they can. We've already seen how this this plays out with what McConnell's been doing, you know, over the past couple of weeks or the past week, uh, in fact. So I think, you know, we're going to see this again. We're going to see this 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 the filibuster come up again and again and again over the next couple of years i think and i think that there's a lot of energy and a lot of support for getting rid of it and biden's saying he doesn't want to do it but that doesn't mean anything i don't know what that means you know we'll have to see how he kind of navigates uh navigates the party over the next in the next couple of years it'd be interesting to see and i'm i'm hoping that you know secretly he does want to win the filibuster and uh he'll kind of figure out a way and uh, you know how to time it and, and get it done well it will come down to joe manchin and kirsten cinema <laughs> yes i think joe manchin is probably the hardest that's the hardest sell i understand manchin's position the guy is a democratic senator representing West Virginia, which went for Trump by like almost 40 points in both elections. I understand where Manchin is coming from. I get it. Cinema, I have no idea what her deal is. She's from a state that just went blue, granted for the first time in a quarter century. They've got two Democratic senators. It seems to be turning blue or at least certainly more purple. I just don't understand I, I don't understand where she's coming from. But you mentioned budget reconciliation, which is probably almost certainly how Joe Biden's COVID relief package is going to pass. Because like you said, not enough Republicans are going to jump on board. You're not going to be able to get 60 Republicans to vote to end debate or even start debate maybe on this on this package, which is what you would need. So it's $1.9 trillion. It's desperately needed. We've got 4,000 people a day dying in the United States. Uh, Biden hopes to vaccinate 300 million Americans by the end of summer. And there were rumblings Wednesday, Thursday, that the package might be broken up into separate bills or that the sticker price would be reduced. And the pushback on that trial balloon was instant and strong. So there seems to be very little appetite to reduce the scope of this package or break it up among congressional Democrats, which which is good. The party is definitely coming around to the reality that they came around too late to during the Obama administration, which is that the, the number one goal of Republicans in Congress when there's a Democratic president is to obstruct the president's legislative agenda. I mean, McConnell said quite famously, infamously in 2010, that his number one goal was to make Obama a one-term president. That's in play again now with Biden. And I know Biden considers McConnell a friend or whatever, but that's the reality, and that's what McConnell is going to try to do. I think that's exactly what's going to happen, and it is quite interesting to see how the Democrats have learned. I, th- thankfully, they have learned. It, it took Donald Trump to get them to this place. It took four years of being beaten up by Trump for them to understand the game that Republicans were playing and are playing and will play and won't ever stop playing, at least not in our lifetime, You know, not in the next... 25 30 years it seems uh, you know they've had they're catering to a increasingly deranged base that demands blood and you know they've chosen that's the 
the path that they've chosen and i think that the there is no way to there is absolutely no way to deal with this other than to win elections and then just pass everything you want to pass without asking them without without consulting them you can pretend to consult them you know and i think this is good politics from from biden and the democrats i i, I genuinely think it is good politics if he gets the stimulus package through it will it will have a hugely beneficial effect on the economy. It'll have a hugely uh, beneficial effect on people's lives. You know, uh, the st- the stimulus check will will the stimulus check last time was a big boon to the economy. Was was too there was not enough of it, but it worked and it will work again. This is really really smart stuff from Biden. He's doing you know they are doing pretty much everything you'd hope they would do in terms of undoing everything that Trump has done. And it's quite, it's very heartening to see um, Biden openly saying, I'm reversing everything this guy has done. He's not um, playing nice. He's not saying, you know, he's not uh, refusing to talk about Trump. He's saying this guy was a disaster and I'm cleaning up his mess and I'm going to reverse absolutely everything he did. So I think, you know, they they fixed the AC, they're restoring the ACA, to, to what it was before uh, Trump took power. So that's, you know, that's a good thing. And I mean, it's just like, you know, the transgender ban in the military, all these things that are, they're, they're sim- yeah, a lot of them are, quite, some of them are symbolic, but I don't mind that. I don't mind the fact that they're symbolic. I think some of them have to be symbolic to let Republicans know this is what's happening now. You're going to have to sit there and suck it up. And there's not there's nothing you can do about this. There's there are no actions that you can take, and kicking and screaming is not going to change anything. And you need to get used to this. And I think that that's the way you do it. You just this is what Trump did. Trump just did things. You know, he just did what he wanted to do and let the chips fall where you know wherever. And this is what Biden has to do, right? That's the game that we're playing. So okay, fine. That that's that's how we do it. That's how we play. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Um, can we talk about your piece today? Uh, yes, absolutely. How, so, let's see. It's how can spirituality wrecked the wellness world and destroyed our response to COVID nineteen? Would you like to give just a quick summary of what you wrote? Because I really enjoyed the piece. I, I think it's spot on, and I think it explains a lot uh, about why we as a society are where we are today. Uh, well, firstly, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> the piece took me um, absolutely forever to, to to write. It was a very, very grueling piece that uh, I won't, can't say I enjoyed writing it uh, very much because it was, I know a lot of people who've been taken in by conspiracy theories. Uh, and that's been personally upsetting for me to see that. And I kind of wanted to write this piece. I wanted to kind of do a deep dive into what has been happening. How have these conspiracy theories sort of dominated our lives? How have they dominated the response to the coronavirus? How have they sort of undermined our, you know, our perception of reality almost? Uh, that, you know, that the emergence of the alt-right and QAnon as a, as a sort of mainstream political forces, I think was incredibly destabilizing for a lot of people where you just thought that, you know, th- th- this is sort of fringe stuff that you would, that would never be acceptable in in mainstream political life. I mean, do you remember the days when uh, we thought that Sarah Palin was 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 nuts? She was nuts. She right compared to these guys. Well, if McCain had got elected president, we she would have had more time in the spotlight, and I think we would have gotten to find out. Yeah, but okay, perhaps you're right. Perhaps she is that nuts. I don't know. 
uh, but you know the cat is out of the bag now, and it's absolutely terrifying. You know, I I think that um, uh, we're in a very 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 precarious state as a society right now, with the prevalence of these conspiracy theories, and and uh, the piece that I wrote was basically an attempt to kind of explore them. What are the what's the history behind a lot of these conspiracy theories? You know, wh- wh- where are they? proliferating as well like what's happening and basically you know what i uncovered throughout my research was that you're you're getting this it's this massive case of cross-pollination right that conspiracy theories are taking off um in different communities uh and and they're now because of the internet they're cross-pollinating so you're getting extreme right-wing politics showing up in new age communities and bonkers new age conspiracy theories showing up in right-wing communities so you've now got this kind of this massive sector of the population that are, are essentially untethered from reality as we understand it and uh, and and it's pretty scary and i think it sort of the storming of the capital was the sort of culminating uh, you know that was the that was the culmination of of the past year of you know coronavirus and and the spread of these nonsensical conspiracy theories about the coronavirus mixed with you know white supremacy and alt-right madness i mean it's been very very um telling that you know that the the coup the attempted coup some people found it shocking but i was shocked but i wasn't surprised you know i was really not surprised at what was happening because if you'd followed a lot of these conspiracy you know what i call conspirituality movements uh, and alt-right sort of madness um and white supremacist movements this was bound to happen this was absolutely bound to happen um and it did and it ended up with these deranged people from new ages and white supremacists and um everybody in between literally trying to overthrow the u.s government you know and again no, my essay was basically an attempt to kind of understand that and and frame it in a way like how do we understand this and and for me one of the best ways to understand this i think is th- is that we are basically experiencing a massive massive mental health crisis and that these conspiracy theories are taking off because of underlying mental health conditions that have been um amplified uh, during the pandemic i does, does, does that help as as an overview i mean it, it explains a lot about where we are both culturally and politically you know, you have you, you mentioned wellness groups in your piece, and a lot of wellness groups online on Facebook have just been they're like hotbeds for anti-vaxxer propaganda and all kinds of COVID denialism. You know, there's nothing necessarily political about that, but it does translate into certain political outcome. Just this general nuttery that's going on because we have where many of us have just decided to abandon facts and reason. You look at somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, she's basically a, a, a walking 8chan thread. Some people, I heard somebody say, oh, she knows what she's doing. I don't think she does. I think she's genuinely like this. I know a lot of politicians, they'll give a wink and a nudge to conspiracies about election fraud or even uh, you know non-existent election fraud or outright say there was election fraud but they don't believe it deep down. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene believes the things that she's actually saying. 
Oh yeah, and... she's full on. She's full on. She's completely full on and in there. Like she, she believes all of it. I totally, I totally agree. Yeah, she's she's our first QAnon Congressperson, and last week it was revealed that Green, she called the Parkland uh, school massacre a hoax. In Florida, there's video of her chasing down David Hogg, one of the survivors and probably the most visible advocate for gun control in the wake of that shooting. There's video of her chasing him down in D.C. a couple of years ago and harassing him about the shooting. She's uh, suggested a wildfire in California was started by a space laser controlled by the Rothschild family. She expressed support for killing prominent Democrats. Again, this is all last week. They went through her old social media posts on Facebook. They also found out uh, she liked a post that said Nancy Pelosi should get a bullet between the eyes. This was like two years ago. So this wasn't some youthful indiscretion. This lady was and still is in her 40s when she said this stuff. And the response from minority leader Kevin McCarthy was to say that he was going to have a talk with her. A talk? How about removing her from the education committee that she sits on? She sits on the education committee. That's a joke. How about supporting Congressman Jimmy Gomez's resolution that would expel her from the House altogether? That's what McCarthy would do if he had any decency or were capable of shame on behalf of his party. The other reaction to this that's infuriating, well, McCarthy's reaction was more of a non-reaction, and this is also a non-reaction, is the White House's. Jen Psaki, press secretary, was asked about Green and her bat shittery two days in a row at the daily press briefing last week. And she said she wasn't going to comment because she didn't want to elevate Green's profile and she didn't want to elevate the conspiracy theories. I'm sorry, what? I know you're British, Ben. I'm going to use a baseball analogy anyway. This is like a hanging curveball right over the middle of the plate. And instead of knocking it out of the park, Psaki just leaves the bat on her shoulder. I've it's no like, idea what that means, but it sounds good. Americans will by and large get it. But, Sorry to the Brits. No yeah, idea what it is. <laughs> but here is an opportunity for the White House to hang Marjorie Taylor Greene around the neck of the Republican Party and inform the public this is the GOP now. You see this lady here? Yes, we're bringing attention to her. Do you know why? One, she's crazy. Two, she's the Republican Party now. This is who they are. If it were reported last week that AOC – two years ago, suggested that Mitch McConnell should be shot, Republicans would, A, be calling for her expulsion en masse, B, fundraising like hell off of it. They would not shut up about it. I mean, they already have done this for much less. Republicans across the country raised millions of dollars in the last election cycle just off of AOC. You know, you had Republicans in, like, Florida, Running against AOC, even though she's 50, her seat's fifteen hundred miles away, and Republicans—they oh, love it. They they love it, don't they? I mean, and it, that's what Democrats need to do. They need to to take and and by the way, I am not comparing Marjorie Taylor Greene and AOC, I at all. AOC is sane. I largely agree with her policies. Even if you don't agree with her policies, she is on planet Earth. Marjorie Taylor Greene is not. And here's an opportunity for Democrats to say, you see this space case over here. That is the GOP, and they're not even doing anything about it. They're not reprimanding her. She's serving on her committee. She should not even be in Congress, but yet the GOP is welcoming her with open arms. That's what the Democratic Party should be doing. 
And it's no guarantee either that that uh, Democrats are going to hang on to the House. They get a slim majority in the House and midterm elections typically don't go very well for the incumbent president's party. So I think I think the Democrats need to run targeted campaigns against their opponents, let the people of their districts know what they are going to do for them. But also in a lot of these districts, you got to play the Marjorie Taylor Greene card and the Lauren Boebert card just to show, give them a glimpse what a Republican-controlled House will look like. When Steve King of Iowa lost the his Republican primary last year, Republicans were able to say, and Steve King, white supremacist, general all-around crazy person, when he lost his primary last year, Republicans could point to, to that and say, see, we're not crazy. King hadn't been out of Congress for five minutes before Marjorie Taylor Greene comes in and the Boberts come in. Now it's 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 not that you know before the GOP wanted to say we don't we don't tolerate racists and nut jobs, but it's clear now that the GOP is itself an asylum. Oh yeah, I think that this is now you know entirely clear. And you know, you know what I, and what I was saying in my piece was that you know, the the far right these far right movements now have they've the conspiracy theorists have managed to incorporate they've managed to pull in new ages into the kind of republican party into the sort of trump wing of the of the republican party uh and 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 that's now what you're dealing with you're dealing with a, a party that's filled with conspiracy lunatics right that's the party now there is no the the, the party of reagan and the party of uh you know even george w bush is gone like it doesn't exist anymore. Like it, it, it's a sort of a, it's a carnival show. I mean, it's an absolute, it's an absolute joke. Um, and I think that you know, Democrats now. But what was in, what I find found interesting when I was sort of doing research and stuff for my piece was that was how people, how liberals have been. Uh, you, you would assume that most people who are into kind of crystal healing and sound baths and uh, spirituality wouldn't be deranged Trump supporters. But they are, right? They've a lot of them have made the leap. They've made this conversion over to Donald Trump, um, which shows you basically what you're dealing with is a cult. You're dealing with a political cult, uh, you know. And and I think that that's it's very very important to understand that that going forward, that's really how we have to treat the Republican Party as a, it, it it is a cult. It, it's a cult. Um, it propagates disinformation. Um, you know, this stuff was was uh, given sort of rocket fuel under Donald Trump, and I don't know how you put the cat back in the bag. I really don't. I think it's very troubling. Yeah, it's extremely troubling. But you know, like we said, this is where they're at now. Um, can I complain about Andrew Cuomo? You can. So Governor Andrew Cuomo, who loves the camera, a report. Not as much as his brother. Yeah, well, not as much as his brother, but they're they're both cut from the same cloth, you know. In an alternate reality, their roles being flipped, and, and them still loving it, you know. Andrew on TV and Chris in the governor's mansion, holding uh, holding regular press conferences about how awesome he's done in responding to the COVID pandemic, but he really hasn't. Andrew Cuomo has not done an awesome job on the the COVID pandemic early on. You know, he grouped. COVID positive patients in into nursing homes and uh, just really slow on the uptake and just making some bad decisions early on. And 
we have a new report out by the New York State Attorney General, Letitia James, who is a Democrat, like Cuomo. And that report says that the Cuomo administration undercounted COVID deaths related to nursing facilities by as much as 50%. So you'll recall over the summer, Cuomo began writing a book or had a book ghostwritten for him titled American Crisis Lessons in Leadership from the COVID-19 Pandemic. And it just seems so stupid and weird and premature at the time. It seems weird and stupid and premature now. You know, it was basically his version of the mission accomplished banner behind George Bush like weeks into the Iraq war. I mean, like, why would you write this book in the middle of a pandemic with no end in sight? Uh, it's just baffling. You know, the optics are bad, but it's also just it was the wrong the thing to do. Yeah. You know, that'd be like us who, you know, we've we've worked hard to try to make this podcast successful and we've done well, but we're not where we'd like to be yet. That'd be like us writing a book on lessons in podcasting or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we got this down, Pat. Yeah, we're 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 ready to write the book on podcasting. So this is uh, uh, just another black eye uh, Cuomo is taking when it comes to his his handling of the pandemic. And Do you think it, he's aware? Do you think he has any awareness that he's he he's kind of screwed that up a bit? I mean, maybe he would never admit it in public, though. No, of course he, not. He, he is, on the other hand, like maybe not because he's kind of an egomaniac. Oftentimes, egomaniacs don't really allow themselves to to have much introspection there. You know, so and he's been talked about as a potential presidential candidate, as has Gavin Newsom, whose re- response to the COVID pandemic has also been mixed. I mean, early on, he won praise for shutting down parts of the state early, grabbing the bull by the horns. But like there's been conflicting, you know, messages here about, you know, who who should be able to open and who, is, you know, who should stay closed you know, I got to tell you, these guys, these guys probably have presidential aspirations, and you would think that they would have done everything in their power, not just because it's the right thing to do, but also because of their presidential ambitions, if they have any, that they would have responded to this thing as flawlessly as humanly possible. You know, you you can't respond to something like this flawlessly, but you would think they would take the Steve Jobs approach. Basically, get a bunch of experts together and yell at them until they come up with the way to proceed, the most successful way forward. Like Steve Jobs, like I want, you know, I want a phone that where I can make calls and texts and read email and play videos. And, you know, his engineers being like, we can't do that. And just yelling at them basically to figure it the fuck out. Right. I mean, I think this is often the problem with politicians, though. I mean, uh, anybody who wants to be a politician, you've automatically got to be very skeptical about. I mean, it's incredibly rare that you get politicians who desire power, uh, who are also like incredibly competent. I'm not sure the two always go hand in hand. You get, you do get some rare exceptions. You know, you get some rare exceptions of of politics. You know, as much as I disagree with a lot of what Tony Blair did, particularly with the Iraq War. The guy was astonishingly competent. He was an incredibly competent politician. I mean, look, Obama as well. Like, he had a lot of gifts, a lot of charisma. But as a sort of a, 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 as a, as a thinker, as someone, as an organizer, 
um, somebody who did presidenting well, I, I think he was incredibly good. But it that's it, very, very rare. Mostly you're going to get people like Ronald Reagan. You're going to get George W. Bush. You're going to get narcissists and you're going to get people who, you know, either think they deserve to be there because of their family or they've got so they're playing out some psychodrama, you know, or national television that we all have to live through like like Donald Trump. Yes. And my fear is on the Republican side, really, they, they will vote for any candidate that just promises to own the libs, whether or not they could actually do a good job as a congressman or a senator or the president of the United States. I mean, the, the last four years was basically about owning the libs. Like, that's it. There's no guiding philosophy here. They don't have a health care plan. They don't have an immigration plan beyond build a wall. And so you, when you don't believe in anything, like you said, these guys are nihilists. And when, you, when you're ideological nihilists, how can you win elections? You can't run on, on actual meat and potatoes issues. You can only give sound bites, right? Tax cuts. We're against socialism. You know, we're for strong borders. Okay, well, we, you drill down, you find out like they don't have much of a plan for healthcare or education, whatever it is. So th they run almost exclusively rhetorical campaigns. They're running on language way more than they're running on actual policies. And that's true for all politicians. All politicians run on, on lofty rhetoric, or in Republicans' case, terrible rhetoric. But the Democrats, they're at least willing to to back it up with something with something like a one point nine trillion dollar covid relief package or student loan debt or restoring Obamacare. You know, these things have real world implications for people. There's not a lot of that going on on the other side. It's such a low bar now, really, isn't it? The fact that that we have to be, you know, do what the Democrats do is essentially it doesn't really matter how bad the democrats are because the other side are so deranged they're so deranged you can't compare the two anymore like it's like it's not like apples and oranges it's like apples and a a whale or something um <laughs> i don't even know what the the right analogy would be so you know i mean look the stimulus thing the 1.9 trillion uh, stimulus thing it's good it's got some good stuff in it it's not amazing it could be better biden just restored basically is restoring the aca uh stabilizing the healthcare markets that's that's nice it's awesome is it no well it's not really awesome it's just fine it's okay and, and in a normal political environment you'd say like you know is that it is that all they're gonna do but it's like okay we've just had four years of some deranged lunatic trying to destabilize the healthcare markets uh, and ensure that people get booted off their insurance as fast as possible um, you know, and, and the fact is, we this is, you know, this basically whatever the Democrats do, it's, it's almost like a sort of divine gift from Jesus. Right. That's what it feels like at the moment. I don't, I don't know about you. Everything Biden does. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy, this this is amazing. This is the best thing ever. And it, it, it you know, it actually isn't that amazing. It's just fine. And it's quite a sad place to be. Well, look, on that low bar note, on that, uh, <laughs> uh, I think we, I think it's time to call it a day. I hope that uh, everybody is staying well and they are not putting themselves in danger. I'm here in London. It's still horrendous over here, the coronavirus pandemic. So I hope everyone else has managed to you know, stay safe and not get COVID and stay out of hospital. Uh, wear a mask, please. That would be great. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, also please uh, consider supporting us with a band membership. You can also read my piece on conspirituality. 
um, you get fifty percent discount on that. So that would be great. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, Mike, anything from you, my friend? You know, the, the United States should have a sign in the break room. It has been twenty-four days since the last insurrection. You know, like it has been. 100 days since the last workplace accident. I feel like that's what we need. <laughs> to, re to remind us of the good times that we're having. Yeah, okay. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next week.